Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. I, I always believe there was a great segregation going on uh, between home life, authentic personal life and office life. And in fact, I uh, don't know if you know, but the, the origin of the suit and the tie that people wear at work, do you know that this is from the suit of armor in war? Huh? Whoa, I didn't know that, no. So, so when we dress for work, we are actually dressing for war. And it's quite wow. interesting that this is the image that is in our heads that you're going to war. I guess if you're dealing with financial services companies, etc., there is quite a warlike atmosphere, very competitive and so on and so on. Um, but this actually allows you to let your guard down uh, and think because, you know, soldiers obey orders. Huh? They yeah. do not think innovatively and creatively. Yeah. And so I think this does a lot of good for, uh, for our thinking. Max is the founder of the Blomberg Partnership, a top 50 people analytics consultancy that delivers global analytics and Salesforce solutions. Prior to this, Max worked as a management consultant at Accenture, after which he founded and successfully exited a technology startup. He's also a visiting professor at the University of Leeds and researcher at Goldsmiths University of London. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. You know, we talk a lot about, about a lot of things in this podcast, future of work, future of HR, transformation. And I think Max is not just going to talk about the future of work. He's living the future of work right now by connecting with me while working out. How are you, Max? <laughs> I'm so cool, Enrique. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, you know, we tell people that they need to stay fit, fit body, fit mind and all of this. And hey. walking, standing desks, you know, and all of my clients, I have to say, they are very used to seeing this image of me. <laughs> you, you know, let, let me ask you this. This is very interesting because if you think about work, it, there's, there's always this idea that you have to bring your non-authentic self to work, meaning the guy who's coming with a tie and a suit and you can't make mistakes, you can show who you really are. And because of what's going on right now with everybody or a lot of people working from home, it seems that we're showing a little window to our, to our real lives, meaning you're working out or your kids or your pets and, and whatnot. Do you ever imagine that this was going to be the future of work like this, like we're living it right now? No, no, I don't think I did. I, I always believed there was a great segregation going on uh, between home life, authentic personal life and office life. And in fact, I uh, don't know if you know, but the, the origin of the suit and the tie that people wear at work, do you know that this is from the suit of armor in war, huh? Whoa, I didn't know that, no. 
So, so when we dress for work, we are actually dressing for war. And it's quite wow. interesting that this is the image that is in our heads that you're going to war. I guess if you're dealing with financial services companies, etc., there is quite a warlike atmosphere, very competitive, and so on and so on. Um, but this actually allows you to let your guard down uh, and think, because you know soldiers obey orders. Huh? They yeah. do not think innovatively and creatively. Yeah. And so I think this does a lot of good for, uh, for our thinking. Uh, absolutely. And, I, and I'm loving it. You know, whenever I'm talking with somebody and then suddenly, you know, the kids are running around and they want to say hello on the screen or, you know, the pet is barking in the background, the dog. I, I, I love that because, you know, it tells me, hey, this person that I'm talking to is human like me. It's not a machine yeah. that doesn't have any problems at home or doesn't have to deal with anything that the rest of us have to deal with. So I, I'm, I'm loving that. So let me ask you, Max, when, 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 you, when you thought about the future of work, what, what did you imagine it was going to be? I thought the future of work was probably going to be an extension of what we're doing. I mean, we know that the idea of a large corporate with hundreds of and thousands of employees was going to die because we knew that the gig economy was coming along. We knew that contractors were going. We knew that offshoring uh, was coming along. But I don't think we realized how quickly it would all be accelerated by the advent of COVID. I mean, there's still a question how fast it is going to happen. Um, but I think it was inevitable. I think it is inev inevitable that businesses will look very different in five to 10 years, even as short as that, um, than we thought they were going to look. They will have a completely different appearance. Uh, absolutely. So... You know, one of the things that I, that I guess you've been experiencing and myself and many others is this, this it, it seems that we're creating a different kind of culture, organization, rela human relationships as we go through this pandemic crisis, right? I, there, are, there are things that we knew we needed to do before and we're finally doing now or creating them differently. So when, when you dream about the kind of organization that you want to see and you say, wow, that is the one organization that I've always dreamed about, what does it look like? What, what are the elements of that organization? I think it's a highly networked organization. I think it's got a, quite a flat hierarchy. I think that it's very specialized uh, in what it does. In other words, it has a core offering and the people working in the company are very expert in that core uh, and they work together as small teams. Um, you know, small teams in businesses operate very differently to large teams. For example, the executive team, which runs any Fortune 500 company, the dynamics in that team are completely different to the dynamics in larger teams lower down the organization. For example, in that team, you have to trust each other completely. You have to be able to conflict with each other. So you must, because when you are steering a ship so big that if the ship is going in the wrong direction and you are afraid that this person is going to kick you if you say you are going wrong, that company is dead. And so a good CEO always values people who will disagree uh, and who will trust once you make a decision, you go with the decision. And I think that instead of just being the top team of the organization, I think we will see that going right through 
the organization. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're describing a, a wonderful kind of organization. I, you know, I'm building a community, so I, I, I love the idea of communities, networks that are that are, that have a flattered structure where where trust in your 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 teammates is is the is the thing that keeps the work you know working. Absolutely. But that that requires. A, a different culture, if you will, maybe different capabilities than the ones we have embraced over the past several years where it seemed that it was a very top-down hierarchical approach. So what, what capabilities do we need to start building in, in our organizations and people's capabilities as well in order to create this kind of dream organization that you're talking about? I think it's a great question. I mean, one of the things that we have in organizations today that is very clear is that the winner in by design is the shareholder the investor in the organization but they are not the only stakeholder in the organization um, the other stakeholders are the employees um, the suppliers uh, the conference organizers they are also stakeholders in that organization but because we always privilege the investor, it means that if there is profit of, you know, 20 billion this year, 19.999 will go to the investors and what is left can go to society, the environment, uh, to the employees and so on. And I think we all know that the culture is changing when that balance starts going around. I mean, one, Peter Cheese, he's the uh, CEO of the CIPD. Uh, here in the UK, which is the equivalent of Sherm uh, in the US. You know, he, he often makes the argument, which I love, um, that organizations don't only exist for the benefit of the shareholders. You could say that organizations exist to give people like you and me meaningful ways to spend our time every day. And profit is just a coincidence, <laughs> you know, because the profit is not so important. It is, is the life. Now, that is a very different perspective. And, you know, you cannot say it is right and the other one is wrong. But it does mean that maybe if we view organizations as being ways to keep people in the society happy and meaningful lives, as well as producing great returns for shareholders, maybe we will start getting the kind of organization that you are dreaming of. Absolutely. You know, you know, Max, you are unleashing a couple of thoughts in here. One of them is that you can't be pro-business if you are not pro-people. They, they go hand in hand. The second thing is that for a long period of time, if, if you look at Ma traditional management in the past 150 years, you will be looking into the idea that humans did not want to work. They needed to be forced, quote unquote, or incentivized to work, which we're proving now that is completely BS because people find meaning in the craft they do at, in their jobs, in their work. So to me, this, this warrants a question of how can we maximize optimize, and I know you love those words because they are data-driven. Data How can we yeah. maximize, optimize the opportunity for people to thrive in the, at work, to truly unleash their potential so that they can find meaning and happiness? How can we do that? 
Well, I think that's a great question. I mean, the first thing is that you probably want to understand what is the drivers of the individual that you are talking about. Every organization will need different drivers. So sometimes if you're doing very precise work, you will need people who are very precise, very conscientious. If you are doing artistic work, you need people who have got flair. If you're doing conferences, again, great example, you need people in psychology who say, with very low neuroticism, in other words, high <laughs> emotional stability, because people are saying, oh, you know, my slot isn't ready, or I ordered vegetarian meal, or da-da-da. But at the same time, you need to be quite extrovert, yep. because you are dealing with a lot of people. Um, and the interesting thing is that if you are not the right personality for the company that you are working with, you will be exhausted. So you can always fake your way into a job. Yep. Anybody can pretend to be an extrovert because society likes extroverts. But if you fake it, you can only keep that up for maybe six months, depending how old you are. You will be sick at the end of that time. You will get ill because it is fooling your body and you know. So the first thing is the organization must work out what types of people it needs and then be very clear about bringing in people of that type and assessing them. And I guess that's a role for people analytics is to ensure that we get that wonderful fit between the need of the organization and the kind of people that are coming in. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that more organizations find the ways which they can do now using people analytics to truly understand the, what they need and the value that the people are bringing. Because sometimes you find people that are doing the kind of job that where they don't thrive because it's not what they like to do. They don't have maybe the skills or the, or the talents that are needed in that area. And there's always an opportunity to move them around to something else where they can actually thrive. This requires, of course, an intentional approach to organizational design. It's not something that happens just by, you know, by, by sheer luck. Yeah. 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 So this, this brings me to the question of the role of human resources in all this that we're talking about. What do you think? Let's, let's just begin with the bigger question. What do you think is the role of HR in creating this kind of organization where people thrive, where their talents are aligned with what the business wants from that specific function? What, what should HR be doing in, in that sense? I think it's quite an easy answer, really. Um, HR need to be consultants to the business. HR do not own the people. Nobody owns the people anyway. But it is the line of business that is working with the people and is responsible that those people deliver a result. So if you are the operations director or in the operational line, you're, you are responsible for that person. So if the wrong person is recruited, you cannot blame HR for that. It's not HR's job to recruit. It is their job to advise operations how to do the best. In order for that to happen, operations must be listening <laughs> to what HR says. And that is where we come undone in organizations is that operations don't always listen to HR. I'm thinking yeah. carefully how to say that. Um, they don't listen because HR is seen as a hassle, as the police, policeman of the organization or the police person of the organization. Um, and that's a big problem. If that's going to change, it's really up to the CEO to tell the business that 
folks, we need to take the advice that HR gives us seriously in the same way that we take the advice that marketing gives us seriously. Yeah. I mean, marketing doesn't own anything in the business. It is advising the salespeople and creating the collateral, but it isn't responsible usually for the targets. In the same way, HR is not responsible. It's the business that's responsible. People have no difficulty listening to marketing advice, but for some reason, um, part of the reason is that operations people have got very difficult targets to achieve. So you must produce so much code uh, if you are Facebook or uh, if you're in sales, you must produce a million. And then you say, well, HR say we can help you recruit salespeople who will give you that. And they say, no time. And they say, well, <laughs> you know, then you will not hit your target. And we could have helped. And they say, ah, HR always coming with academic and science and blah, 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 blah. But actually... <laughs> But they're very happy to listen to a sales consultant or yeah. to a, an AI consultant out of the machines. But when it comes to people, everyone thinks they are an expert. We don't need advice on people. Interesting. Yeah. Do you think there might be, let me, let me ask you this. Do you think there might be a, a problem of connecting what we do in HR with business language, business goals, business priorities? Because if we so, so, sometimes, you know, when you hear this expression, which I don't necessarily like, the seat at the table, I, I think if I want to get that seat at the table, that means that I'm going to have to talk the same language that the, pe the people in that table are talking about. That may not be my language, but I need to speak it. Otherwise, I won't be able, they won't be able to understand me. So what do you think is, is, is the implication of HR, perhaps not knowing that much, the language of the business or the business goals and whatnot? Uh, Max, you're muted. Sorry, back. Uh, sorry. Um, I would love to say, Henri, that that is correct. Um, mainly because I have a model which links HR practices, people practices, recruitment, learning, to outcomes like profitability and revenue, etc. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge that I'm a psychologist uh, as well. Um, you have to acknowledge that human behavior is not so predictable. Mm -hmm. So if I send somebody to Harvard to do an MBA and I spend half a million on that, how do I know what my ROI is going to be on that individual? Well, if that person has got budget responsibility um, so that they are running a business unit, then I can say, well, you know, that business unit made 40 40 million profits, so I have definitely recovered the half a million I've had. But what happens if they are the person running marketing or running HR? You know, you can't, let's say that this person improves the culture of the organization as a result of doing their Harvard MBA for half a million. How do you measure the financial output of culture? There are many people who estimate it, who make a guess. But it's not like saying when we buy a machine that makes cell phones, <laughs> that we know it will make 4 million cell phones. They are costing us uh, $10 each. We are going to sell them for $400 each. This is the precise dollar output we are getting. You can't do that because people are not as predictable. Yeah. You know, somebody, one person, you can have two people, actually, two employees you send to Harvard for half a million each. The one comes back and makes billions, the other one puts their feet on the desk and does nothing. You cannot predict with human beings because we have got agency, we have got 
the ability to choose whether we want, which comes back to meaningful work, by the way, yeah. because if you want meaningful work, you must choose. And so that is why HR has this difficulty. We cannot deny that people are critically important and we must get better at trying to monetize it. I think that is why we have this, this value profiler tool, which links people processes to business outcomes. It's not perfect by any means. I mean, it's subjective, it's measured, but it is a start to try and answer the question that people like you are asking is how do you link people activity to business outcomes? Yeah, absolutely. One thing, one thing you said before that I, that I, I also say all the time, and I think it's, it's incredibly important is HR is a line of business because yes, we're a function and we're doing people work, but very often I find HR practitioners who think of themselves as HR people, right? And, and to me, yes, we are HR people the same way marketing people are marketing people and IT people are IT people. But the moment we can remove that, own, that unique HR hat and we can put on the business hat thinking we are part of an entire organization. We're not just, we don't exist for our own sake. We exist for the sake of yeah. this organization. I think we are in a much better place. And I don't see that happening very often. Well, uh, the history is very interesting, is that when HR started, as, as you and everybody listening knows, HR started out as personnel. It's an administrative mm -hmm. function. What we mean by administrative is that they look after processes. Yeah. And so they look after the recruitment process, the L&D process, succession management process, anything that is a process. That means that looking after a process is the opposite of creating a plan. Because a plan, maybe the person who created a plan for the process, that person was being strategic. But yeah. when you are executing a process, you aren't just executing. I mean, eventually we know that it will be digitized and it will be robotic. Where HR has not grown beyond that is that they've not grown beyond being process managers. And for yeah. good reasons, because if you were all process managers in the 70s, 80s and 90s, and now there is a demand in the noughties and 2020 that we must be strategic thinkers. Those people will not be recruiting those kind of strategic thinkers because they yeah. will recruit what they know, which is process, yeah. which is where the policeman thing comes yeah. from. And so the big change, again, is not only is the CEO telling the operations people you must listen to the HR experts if there is an HR expert of the kind we are talking about. He's also saying, I need to recruit a new head of HR who is not a process manager. It was useful then, but if I want human capital to be a key part of our culture and a differentiator in the market, my, CE, my, my HR person needs to be a strategic human capital yeah. thinker. That is, it's slow, as you say, Enrique, it's not happening you know, fast. The, all yeah. the big companies are doing it, Facebooks and Google, everyone yeah. you expect. Yeah. But the uh, other organizations, much slower. Yeah. And, and you know, you know where, where I see that in, when I look at the job postings for HR uh, leaders or practitioners, I read through the posting and I'm thinking, whoa, this looks like something from so many years ago, right? Like, interesting. It's, yeah, it's, it's like you, you read it and you're like, they are not asking for the kind of things that you know are needed in the world of, HR, of the new HR. They, yeah. they, it, it seems that they are looking for somebody to lead HR in the in the 1995 yesterday yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. that to me of course it's a, it's a it's a bummer and i think there is blame to be put on the hr 
professionals creating the jo those job postings, but of course to the leaders, like you're saying, to the leaders of those organizations that may not see the value of having a different kind of a chart that goes beyond the transaction. But what we are seeing, which I think is great, is that, you know, Dave Ulrich, uh, I'm sure Dave will be, you know, talking to you and doing yeah. this sort of thing. But one of the great things that Dave does is that he started saying that HR people must leave HR and go into the business and we have the business partner, uh, for example. And that is the first kind of move, really, where you are saying that HR get away from the processes and start looking at the business. And it's a hard job being a business partner. Firstly, yeah. you've got the operations person doesn't want to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got to get through all of that. One interesting phenomenon that we're noticing as a matter of interest is that in the kind of traditional HR functions that you're talking about, the very process oriented, their business partners have not been very quick to embrace analytics and the, and the business priorities. What's happening is that people working in the people analytics function, they are going out into the business and they are starting to do the work that the business partners were supposed to be doing. And so we have a new term starting to emerge, certainly at many of the companies I work with, uh, called a people analytics partner. And I like this very much, yeah. uh, is that they are replacing, people are saying, well, these people are already quantitatively numerate. They understand that side of things. Um, we don't need, so we only need to train them on the business. We don't need to train them in numbers. Yeah. Um, and they are making fantastic. I love working with the people analytics partners because they really do it. You know. Yeah. And, and and they have a they have a quality that you don't find often in the HR space, which is the the the, te the technical piece of of the work that they need to do. Um, you know, I, I, I know people that got into the HR space and they love it and they don't like numbers. You know, they don't like the math behind the work that they need to be doing today. Whereas people that are in the, in the people analytics space, that's what they do. So, well, I mean, what you ideally want is, you know, the term intrapreneur as opposed to on entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. So, so Enrique entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> so what you really want is you want a whole lot of intrapreneurs. You want yes. a lot of Enriques working in your organization. People who are naturally business-minded, quantitatively-minded, yeah. people-oriented. Because when you have your own company, I mean, I, I, I have my own company, um, you have to be a bit of everything. As I said earlier, you have to fake some of it. And that's why running your own company is always exhausting because you are always faking 50% because you cannot really be everything. But if you are the boss, you know, who else is going to do it? So that is why bosses are always exhausted. But that would be one quality that I would look for in employees is a real sense of entrepreneurial. And people say, well, we don't want them to think too much because we want them to do the job that we want them yeah. to do. And the answer to that is that people who are doing one job only, they are going to be automated out of a job quickest. Yes. And so if you want to protect your career and your kid's career, if you are a parent, you want your kids to get the broadest possible education so that what they do becomes very difficult to automate because they are reading people and all of the things that computers are really bad at doing. And interestingly, as we know, females are much better than this at males. Huh? Males, we like to do one thing because we normally yeah. only think of one thing, whereas females have got a <laughs> I've got a much broader way of being. And so um, I wrote an article in The Economist uh, around 2002 where we said 
that the future of the male worker is in danger. And I think this is going to come true uh, at some point. And we are seeing it already is that males, male work is being automated, all the heavy lifting work, all of the kind of stuff that is being taken away. So it's a very interesting time to start getting broad so that you are entrepreneurial in your job in the company. Yeah, not, not surprisingly, the countries that have done best during the pandemic in, in uh, you know, flattening the curve and, and, and keeping things as, as controlled as possible are all led by women, all of them. Um, That's a fascinating, yeah, Germany. I mean, Germany, New Zealand. So true. Yeah, so true. yeah, absolutely. So, so Max, as we approach the, the, the end of the podcast, the, the conversation, I, I want to wrap up with a couple of questions. The first one is, the kind of organization that you are describing where uh, you know, people find meaning uh, in, in their job, but also where the leaders are giving HR the opportunity to become that business leader, that, that journey must start somewhere. There's always a, a number one step you know, to, to begin this journey. For those organizations that are starting to think that way, for HR leaders that are starting to think it that way, what would be the first step for them to build this kind of organization where, once again, people thrive, find meaning, they, are, they have flatter, flatter structures, more networked organizations. What's the first step? I think, without a doubt, this has got to be sanctioned by the CEO because mm. without CEO support, you will not get the culture change. People are resistant to change. You will not get the budget uh, to make the kind of change that you need. So the first thing that the new HRD in small n HRD, new HRD, I like that, um, <laughs> must do is to start developing a very strong relationship with the CEO. Now, this is difficult if they are not, as your worst expression says, if they are not at the top table because they are not yeah. in the executive committee. So your first step is really ensure that you've got a great relationship with the CEO so that you are a trusted advisor. Yeah. Um, and once the CEO is convinced that you're a trust advisor and is convinced about the value of people, of human capital, then you can start talking about ways to empower employees and to start focusing on how can we make people's work more meaningful. Uh, for example, Unilever is very good um, at using a virtual technology uh, to make, to take as much boring work away from the employees and to give them as much time to do mean and they are conscious intentionally to use your expression they are intentional about doing this that's kind of the the kind of employee experience the culture the climate that we are looking for and that is what the hr person needs to ask the ceo for but only once they've got their trusted relationship yeah absolutely well great great advice to to begin this journey my last question to you max is what are you the most excited and the most concerned about the future I think, good question. Um, <laughs> most excited about the future is definitely the opportunity of AI um, to take away the boring parts of our work so that we can go higher, we can actualize, you know, in yeah. sort of Maslow terms. We can become truly who we are because we are not spending time doing admin. The thing that frightens me the most is people who do not easily adapt. Yeah. who are not flexible. Um, it worries me how they will do it. I asked Josh Person the same question that you are asking me. And Josh said, Max, you must have faith in the resilience of human beings. When people are forced to make a change, they will. 
I, I just feel sad because it will be a very painful change, I think, for people who are not naturally changers. They will make it because they have to, not because they want to. Yeah. I um, um, I absolutely agree with you. Well, well, Max, thank you so much for being with me today. It was a fantastic conversation while um, talking about all these ideas while you were working out. So, you know, we while optimized, I was we we optimized time. Fantastic. <laughs> Gracias. A great pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Max. And thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next Hacking Nature podcast. See you all soon. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.